where there is no vision, people perish. People perish. And what we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks is just that very thought. You see, before you can ever have a strong vision for a church, you have to have a strong vision as an individual. Because as I have been sharing over the last couple of weeks, that a church is it's not stronger than the people who make it up. You are the church. So therefore, if a church is going to have a strong vision, it has to be driven by people who have a strong vision. I want to show you this video before we jump into the message this morning. This morning, I wanted to share with you that video that was made possible for a couple of reasons. One, this was the Christmas experience that you helped make possible for those young people, the gifts that you helped purchase, the things that you gave to them for Christmas. And so I tell you what, let's give the Lord a hand for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
But you know, we're excited and we helped and we gave and we contributed and uh, helped make that event possible for those children in Pamplona. But the reason that all that is really made possible was because of the last man that you saw on that screen, Marco Alva, who God allowed to have our pathways cross in the middle of a city of 12 million. You know, we went and decided we were going to plant a church there, another campus, and, and start another work there. And so we went and began to do that. But the reason that that work was successful was not necessarily because of our vision, but was his vision. The reason that we're where we are today as a group is because it all has to start with a personal vision. And unless you have a strong personal vision for your own personal life, then you will struggle through life. Life will be a job and not a joy. Life will be a job and not a joy. Life itself was not supposed to be a job, but it was supposed to be a joy. But when you don't have vision and you don't have dreams, then life itself is a job. Your family is a job. Not just what you do for a living. Not just the 8, 10, 12 hours that you may put in on the workforce. That's not just the job. Everything is a job. Everything sucks the joy right out of you. But when you have a vision... When you have something that you're reaching for that is greater than you are, that is bigger than you are, when you have a dream that is beyond you, life is no longer a challenge, but it's a joy. Let me read you this quote here from T.E. Harris, T.E. Uh, Lawrence. It says, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds Awake to the day to find that it was all in vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men. For the many act, these many act out their dreams and will open eyes to make it possible. Is all your dreams in vanity? Or have you become a dangerous man by what you're doing? Have you become a dangerous woman because of the dreams that you're dreaming? Let me share with you a passage of scripture, I think, that summarizes where many of us are this time of the year. You can find it in the book of Romans, chapter 7, and verse 15. This time of the year, we all have great plans, great dreams, great visions of wonder. It's called New Year resolutions. Has anybody ever wondered why we make those anymore? Tradition? Because how many of us actually live out those resolutions all year long? But why do we make them? Because we know it's the thing that we ought to do. We know it's the thing that we not only ought to do, we know it's the thing that we need to do. Now, a resolution is not a dream. It could be. But most of the times, it's not. It's just something that we know we ought to already be doing that would just make our life better. But yet we never find ourselves fulfilling that resolution. We never find ourselves living out a dream. I remember when in, in, in college, I remember Jerry Falwell made this statement in a class one time. He said, everybody needs a BHAG. I thought, man, what in the world is that? 
He set a big, hairy, audacious goal that you cannot accomplish. Something that's bigger than you are. A goal that is greater than you are. At that time, Jerry Falwell was 70 years old. And he said, I have a 20-year plan. I have a 20-year plan for my life at 70. You see, most of us find ourselves cashing in in the later years of our life. But I want you to understand something, that every year you live, your life is richer, fuller, and greater for a larger potential. Because everything you do brings you to a new level. It brings you to a new place that you can accomplish greater things than you ever dreamed possible. Now, I'm not saying that you are not be able to enjoy life a little bit when you, when you get older and you have an opportunity and you are not have as many obligations and you may have retired from your work. But I want you to know that we ought to always be dreaming. We ought to always be reaching. We ought to always be striving for something that's greater than we are. Many men did not receive their greatest potential and did not receive their greatest accomplishments until they were after 60 years old. Till they pass the age of 60 years old. But you know the problem is a many a person, many a person die when they're 60. But they never bury them till they're 80. Can I say that again? Many people die when they're 60, but they never bury them until they're 80. You see, you always have to be stretching. The minute you quit dreaming, the minute you quit having vision is the day you start dying. It's the day that you no longer stretch out and enlarge your tent, enlarge your territory. Not that it can see how much you can get, but how big of an impact you can have. How big of an impact you can have in your life. Many times when we reach that age, we come to a place where we now have things. We have more power, we have more assets, and we have more time to do greater things for the kingdom and greater things for people around us, yet we don't do any of those things. And it's at those moments in life that God really and truly wants to rock our world. I am challenging you as your pastor, don't die when you're 60. You have a lot of living left to do. A lot of living left to do. Don't die when you're 40. You say, man, I've got this job, I'm settled in. You're in the monotony of it. You're in the cycle of life, and the wheels on life go round and round and round. Listen, it doesn't have to be that way. You can always be reaching. You can always be stretching yourself. You can always be learning. And becoming a person of greater impact and greater potential. I read a quote this week in a book. It said, some men read about history. Other men make history. Which one will you do? Which one will you do? He said, oh, pastor, you don't know where I come from. You don't know where I started. You don't know the things of, of, of the smallness of my life. Well, listen to this. God has a great plan for your life. 
God has a great purpose for your life, and he doesn't care how small your beginnings were. He doesn't care how small a potential you may have on the outside. He's looking at the potential on the inside that you have. And God is wanting to do a work in your life that nobody else can do. God is wanting to do a work in the world that nobody else can do. Only you can do it. Why do not men accomplish this goal? I think it's found right here in this scripture. Romans 8, 7, and 15. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do. You set a resolution because you want to live it out. Yet we don't live it out. I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, does that make sense to anybody here besides me? If I end up doing what I do not want to do, if I end up doing these things, do I agree with the law that it is good? So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do good, the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Look at this right here. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover the principle when I want to do good, evil is with me. When I want to do good, evil is with me. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, I want you to know it will be met by great, uh, huge obstacles. Obstacles will be everywhere. The obstacles will try to overtake you. The obstacles will try to overthrow you. The devil will try to convince you that you don't have the ability, you don't have the power, you don't have the wherewithal to do it. But here's what I want you to know, is that we just need to throw ourselves at the mercy seat of God and trust Him and believe in Him and rely on Him to influence our life for the glory of God. I think we can relate with this passage of Scripture. Pastor, I want to do this. Now, I could spend a lot of your time this morning with a checklist, but I'm not going to do that. Because you know the thing that your spirit man does not want to do. You know the thing that you've been trying to give up. You know the thing that you've been trying to kick. You know the thing that you've been trying to walk away from. Or maybe it's not something you're trying to walk away from. Maybe it's something you're trying to achieve. Maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a vision. And you try to do those things and you try to reach out for them. But you know that you've just been failing miserably. I mean, how many times have we done this? How many times have we said this? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my quiet time. This year, I'm going to have great quiet time. Boy, you have good quiet time for about a week, don't you? Something interrupts the flow of it. It interrupts the flow of it, and then your quiet time with the Lord does what? 
becomes busy time with everybody else. It's the reality of it. Will introduced me to a new concept. And I don't understand a lot about it. Somebody wrote a book, and he was telling me about it. I don't even know the author of the book. He said he's going to get me a copy, so I'm going to hold him to it. And it's on, instead of making a resolution, it's on making a decision to live out one word all year long. Instead of making a decision to have a long resolution, make a commitment to live out one word. And I've been thinking about this for almost a month now. And it's pretty gripping. It's a gripping fact. Man, I began to think about it. Okay, here's what my word is. And man, I thought about that word and I thought, here's what I need to do. This is the word that I need to have and begin to move through that. And then I begin to think, okay, as I prayed about that word, talked to the Lord about it, the Lord's like, no, boy, that's not your word. Here's the word you really need to have. And I'm going to tell you, as I thought about that, for me, the one word that I have determined that I'm going to live out this year is the word discipline. And the word discipline is awful close to the word disciple. Because you cannot be a disciple of the Lord unless you have discipline. And I believe what God is calling me to do is to be a man of discipline in every area of my life. In my professional life, in my family life, in my recreational life, in every aspect of my life, that I need to be a man of discipline. If I can be a man of discipline, every area of my life will begin to improve. And I begin to think about that. And I wonder, what is the word that God would want you to live out this year? What is the one word? You know, there's a book a guy wrote about it, about living out that one word. But the reality of it is you don't need a book. You need to get with God and find out what the word is and go to the scripture and say, Lord, give me the words in your, your book to affirm the word that you have spoken in my heart. And God, for the next 365 days, for the next 52 weeks, I am going to try to flesh that word out in my life because I am fed up with wanting to do good and not doing it and doing the thing that I don't want to do. Amen. Am I the only one on this boat by myself? It's a slow boat, isn't it? And it goes nowhere. It just goes around in circles. 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 It never moves out. So what is the answer? Well, the answer here in this passage of Scripture, we see Paul was talking about an inward struggle. And in this inward struggle... He was dealing with all these things. And as he was struggling with them, it began to bring him to a new dimension. And it was not only the struggle, but Paul presents the solution. The solution in this passage of Scripture. What is the solution that he's speaking to in this passage of Scripture? Well, okay, if I have a struggle, then there has to be a solution. And as we think about the solution, we begin to look at what God's up to in our life and begin to say, what's taking place? What's moving? What's molding? What's shaping us into our hearts and into our lives? The solution is found in chapter 8 and verse 1. Paul found himself in a place of condemnation. Amen. Why did he find himself in a place of condemnation? Because he's like, I want to do good and I'm not doing it. And I know just enough about the law to make me miserable. 
He knew to the law, the Ten Commandments said you must do A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4. And so all these things began to, to connect and all these things began to fulfill. And in this passage of Scripture, it was very unique. So he found himself guilt-ridden. Anybody ever been there? Finding yourself guilt-ridden because you know what you want to do, but yet you know you're not fulfilling it, but you got just enough Jesus in your heart, just enough of the control of the Spirit in your life that you're miserable. Amen. That's the life of a half-baked Christian. God did not intend for you to live your life half-baked. There's this struggle. God did not intend for you to be defeated in the struggle. So you're feeling this condemnation? Look at what it says in chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, therefore, how do we know these talk? How do we know this connects? Because anytime you see a word, therefore, you all, it always brings you back to the previous text. Because of all these things, therefore, there is no condemnation. Say that with me this morning. There's no condemnation. Now say it like you believe it. There is no condemnation. Condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. In Christ. What is the key phrase in this verse? The word in. In Christ. Not those who know Christ, not those who've heard about Christ, not those who've learned about Christ, but those who are in Christ. There is a difference from those who understand Christ. Even the demons in hell believes and tremble, it says in the book of James, in Christ. But for those who are hidden in Christ, those who are hidden in Christ, it's no longer about you. But it's about him. And if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. The Bible says that he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Never to remember them anymore. And so as we begin to process this, you go down a little bit further. And we look at what it says in verse 3. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the flesh like ours under sin's dominion and as a sin offering in order that the law might be fulfilled. Wow, the struggle. Go with me a little bit further. Skip over now, if you would, into verse 20 of the same chapter. For the creation was subjected to weakness, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage of corruption and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan with in ourselves, eagerly waiting the adoption and the redemption of our bodies. What does he say in this passage of Scripture? Well, he's saying that when Adam and Eve sinned and the curse of man and all that fell, the whole earth was placed under a curse. Before that, there was no need of pesticides. There was no need of herbicides. There was no weeds. There was no thorns. There was no thistles. But the whole earth was placed under a curse. 
but yet now the whole earth longs and anticipates the day that it will be set free. You remember the earth was perfect. There was no need for rain. They didn't wonder and say, can I plant my crop today? They didn't have to plant because everything came forward naturally. They didn't have to worry and say, will the rain come? No, every day the earth took care of itself. The Bible teaches that it gave up, that it gave up its own hydration. But after the curse, everything fell. Everything began to spin out of control. And so there's this whole fact of the struggle. But in the struggle is the solution. The solution is this. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all these things begin to put us in place. The solution is this in Matthew 7. Here's what it says. To go to the Lord and ask him. To ask him. To seek. To knock. The door would be open unto you. These things begin. And here's what he talks about in Matthew 7. If your earthly father knows how to give good gifts. If your earthly father knows how to give these good gifts. How much more would your heavenly father give you to those who are willing and will ask him? Today, we know to do right. We want to do right. But doggone it, so many times we find ourselves just not doing it. As this year, as we close the chapter in the book on this year, 2012, a lot of our lives look different. The struggle of life has overtaken you. When you close the chapter on 2013, a lot of people's lives will look different. Maybe it's a spouse that will walk away from the family, give up the struggle, give up the family for something that's off in the further distance. Maybe it's somebody that will walk away from, from, from the family unit. Maybe it's a child that will cut off the relationship with the parents or the parents cut off the relationship with the children because of decisions that they've made. Here's what I want you to know. Life is about struggles. And anybody who tells you that it's not is a liar and the truth's not in them. The Bible says this, that in this world we will have tribulation. But I want you to know that in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of wanting to do what's right, there is a solution. And the solution is this, that if any man be in Christ, there is no condemnation. He can be set free. Set free by the power of Jesus Christ to transform our life. Some of you have visions of greatness. God stirring in your heart. What made America great in the past was men and women who had vision and was willing to become risk takers. Willing to put themselves out there Willing to give it all up for the dream, for the vision that was stirring in their heart. Some of those was physical dreams, was businesses and, and other things that they started. And some were spiritual dreams. But what made us who we are today as Americans is this fact, that we have a dream. 
The reason that we were able to see all those children gathered in Pamplona today is because there was a man who had a dream. There was a man. We had a vision to have a second campus in Peru because we had a vision. God connected us in a city of 12 million with a man who had a similar vision at the same time for such a time as this that great things would happen. God used that man to take our church in Pamplona, our campus in Pamplona, to another level. And when it began to be more than he could handle, God raised up another young couple. Another young couple to come along beside him and work with them. A couple that is really symbolic of our church, Family of Grace. Carlos and Katie. Matter of fact, in two weeks they'll be here. You'll get to meet them. Carlos is Peruvian. Uh, uh, Katie is, is, is an American. And they believe God has brought them together with Pastor Marco for such a time as this. It wasn't necessarily the church's vision. It was a personal vision. A vision that God was stirring in their hearts. A vision that God was, had birthed. A vision that God had nurtured. A vision that God was raising up for such a time as this. This year, you have to begin to ask yourself, what are my personal visions? What are my personal goals for my family, for my business, for my employment? And then for my spiritual life. All areas. All areas. You should not be content with not having a goal that is unreachable. A goal that is reachable can many times be done without the intervention of a holy God. But when you set the bar and only God can make it happen, that's when you're walking in the supernatural. That's when you're walking in the power and the presence of God. That's when you're moving in faith. When you move in faith, you begin to see the impossible become the possible. Next week, we'll share the vision of the church, and I have some God-sized stories to tell you that the Lord has done in the closing days of the year of 2012. Things that seemed unattainable for us in 2013. Because the need was greater than we were. It was bigger than we were. Those things have now become reachable under the miraculous power of a holy God. And the only way we can begin to see those things happen is when we're willing to lay it on the altar and say, God, I'm giving it all to you, Lord. I can't do this without you. I need you to intervene in my life. <coughs> God has a great plan for our church. But our church will never be stronger if you don't have a great plan for your personal life. For your personal life. For God to take you personally to a new place and to a new level. To spread your wings, take you up higher to a new elevation. If you only do what you've always done, you'll only see what you've always seen. If you only do what you've always done, you'll only experience what you already have. You say, oh, pastor, that's not being content. There's a difference in being content with what you have, with what God's given you now, but dreaming for the next level, dreaming for a greater thing, dreaming for the next place, for God to take you to a new place. 
What is it that God's stirring in your heart for your personal life? You have to make the decision. Let's look at this. Not only do we see the struggle in this passage of Scripture and the solution, but we see the salvation. Look at what it says in verse 26, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Are called according to his purpose. For those who he called, he foreknew and he predestined them to be conformed to his image. Were we predestined? You're absolutely right we were predestined. We were predestined to be in the very image of Jesus Christ. We were predestined to be in his image. That he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those that he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who in the world can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. How will he also, how will he not also with him grant not grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is he? Who is the one he condemns? Christ, Jesus, is the one who died. But even more, he's the one who's been raised. Also, he's at the right hand of God, and he intercedes. And who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction do it? Anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted like sheep for the slaughter. Look at verse 37. No, in all things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's your salvation. The only way it can be your salvation is you've got to accept it. The solution has already been given. But will you receive it? Will you receive it? We receive it, the vision for greatness. What is the difference between a dreamer and a visionary? A visionary is a dreamer, but a person who's a dreamer, not a visionary, only dreams. Visionary people make it happen. Visionary people work out the solution. Visionary people put themselves out there. They take risk. When people say, don't take that risk. They put themselves out there to trust God in the supernatural to provide for them every step of the way. There was a man who started a business in his garage, him and his wife. When his children were old enough to help, they would help him. When he started that business in his garage, he had a dream. 
His dream was to be able to give away a million dollars to missions. You say, that's crazy. That's God size. In his garage, putting together little items to sell. He said, I have a dream. And his dream wasn't to have big businesses. It wasn't to have a lot of stores. His dream was that I can give away $1 million to the mission field. About 10 years ago, he accomplished a dream. And he now gives away $1 million a week to missions. $1 million a week. But it all started in a garage. He said, I have a dream that I can impact the kingdom by what I can do in the physical. Same man finds himself in a unique position today. It's a Christian man. Has founded his business on Christian principles. And has made a decision. He's a completely self-insured business. He's made a decision that he will that he will not that he will not follow the mandate of the president's new health care ruling. He made a decision that he will not pay for the morning after pill and he will not pay for abortions and those things because it goes against his very convictions that are seated in the principle of his heart. He tried to appeal to the Supreme Court but one of the justices, Sotomayor, said, no, I'm, I, we're not going to hear that. you got to go back to the lower courts. And as a result, starting next week, he will receive a fine of $1.3 million a day for every day that he doesn't comply with the presidential mandate that goes against his religious freedom. I was talking to Christy about this yesterday. I said he made a decision to not do it. And she said, well, there's no way he can stay open. And she's right. There's no way in the physical that any business can suffer that kind of fine over $7 million a week. No way. But there's also no way that a man can start a business in his garage with his wife and children and give away a million dollars a week to missions. I say, I can't wait to see how the Lord provides for him. Because when we put ourselves out there, and we're willing to walk where no men walk, when we put ourselves out there, and we're willing to say, God, I can't do this, God says, but I can't. For things that are impossible with man are possible with God. I say to you, look to the naysayers in your life and say, get behind me. Get behind me. I'm walking in the direction that God is leading my life. 
I can't wait to see how God blesses that man. I can't wait to see that. I believe that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the thoughts of any man what God has in store for that man in his life who's willing to walk that walk. You say, Pastor, it's uncertain. Yes, it's uncertain. Pastor, it's unknown. Yes, it's unknown. Pastor, there's no signs pointing the way. Yes, there's no signs pointing the way. But can I tell you that the view has not been trotted underfoot by man? The fruit has not been trotted underfoot by man. Chart the new course for your life, for your personal life, your personal life. Dream it. Live it. Trust it. Embrace it. God will bring it. God will bring it into fruition. Would you be willing to, sir? How about you, ma'am? Would you be willing to? Would you be willing to put yourself out there personally? Put your family out there in new direction for your physical life. Would you be willing to put yourself out there (coughs) for your spiritual life? You say, Pastor, I had a plan, but it kind of got derailed. No, it didn't get derailed. God's taking you around another direction. He wants to show you a different view. If you allow your life to be fluid, then you can fit the shape of whatever container you're poured into. And so what I'd encourage you to do at the end of this year is say, Lord, I just want to be fluid in your hand. Without you controlling me, I'll roll off the scene. I just want to be fluid, Lord. I want to fit whatever you pour me into. As a church, we're going to have to be fluid. We're going to have to be fluid to fit whatever shape God pours us into. You say, oh, I had a dream to start a business, but this economy's bad. Yes, it's bad. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, America's going over the cliff, as they've all been talking about, probably. We've been over the cliff a long time ago, matter of fact. But you don't operate on man's economy if you're a child of God. You operate on God's economy. Isn't it amazing that churches are closing their doors all over the place? They're going out of business. They're selling their buildings. They're merging. They're doing all these things. They say, hey, people don't love Jesus anymore. Churches are going out of business. But yet we were crazy enough to start one and believe God to do the impossible. To do the impossible, trust the impossible, have another campus on another continent, working on another one. God's doing something great. God's looking at doing something great. I was looking at Ed Young's ministry in Dallas, and this year alone, they're planning on starting seven new campuses. You say, that's crazy. That's God-sized. That's God-sized. 
world says you can't do it. But God says, if I'm for you, then who in the world can be against you? Who in the world can be against you? This morning, I want you to gather up every excuse you can think about. I want you to come lay it at this altar and say, Lord, I will not believe this excuse anymore. I'm going to believe you. Maybe it's been an excuse you've been contemplating in your mind to not go the direction God's telling you to go. Maybe it's an excuse as you've been building up to walk out on your family. Maybe it's an excuse you've been building to walk out on your spouse, your children, your, 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 your just run away. Gather up all those excuses and say, this excuse will not separate me from what God's called me to do, what God has anointed, what God has appointed in my life. I'm giving it up. I'm nailing it to his cross. I'm going to walk in victory. The world may be going down. <clears throat> I may not have any control over what happens in Washington. I may not be able to control what happens in my city. I may not even be able to control what happens on my street. But for the love of all, you can control what happens in your home. And as for you and your house, this year, you serve the Lord. Though all hell will sell you, you'll serve the Lord. Though the going gets tough, you'll serve the Lord. Though the waves overwhelm you, you'll serve the Lord. You know something? The only way you can ever be carried back to the boat in the arms of Jesus is if you get out of it. Everybody focuses on Peter walking on water and Peter sinking. That's not what caught my attention in that story. What caught my attention in that story was that Jesus Christ reached down when Peter was going down and he picked him up in his arms and he carried him. He said, boy, let's go get in the boat. And they went and got in the boat with the rest of them. The only way you can ever experience that is you got to get out of the boat. Who cares if you sink? Be known that you got out of the boat. Be known that you got out of the boat. What are you going to do with your life? It's all for such a time as this. No matter what your age is, what's your plan, what's your vision, what's your big, hairy, audacious goal that you believe in God for? Trust Him. Just as you are, come and take it and lay it at His feet. With your head bowed this morning, I wonder how many of you, you've been willing to just about quit. You've been willing to walk away. You're so discouraged. <laughs> the dream that you thought was possible is not happening. <clears throat> it's not coming to fulfillment. Your life's not what you thought it would be by this time in your life. You're ready to give up. Today, God's speaking to your heart. 
Maybe you just want to make your way to this altar. Let us pray for you. <clears throat> Maybe you're here today and you know God's given you a great vision, but you're scared. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the next move is. You don't know where to turn. Today, let us pray for you. Would you give us that honor? Would you give us that honor of grabbing your hand and talking to Jesus for you this morning? Maybe you're one of those people this morning that I was talking about. As this year is closing, your life looks different than it did January of last year. You didn't see it coming. Your world's upside down. And you think there's no hope and it's all over. Today, I tell you, gather up everything you have. Bring it to Jesus. Let us intercede for you. Let us believe the Lord for you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe in this building there's people. Every person in this building should be doing business with you some kind of way, Lord. God, help us to trust you. Help us to break free today. Help us to experience your power today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet, won't you come? Won't you come right now? Won't you come? I'll be glad to pray with you. Be people here to pray with you. Won't you come today? Won't you come? Won't you come? to pray with you if that's what you need once you come
want you to come. you come. Be glad to pray with you today. Whatever the Spirit speaking to your heart.
Why don't you come today if the Spirit's speaking to you, just a moment. God's moving, God's touching hearts and lives. A lot of you want to give stuff up as you approach the new year. I want you to know this. What we want to do, we don't always do. But I want you to know there is a power. There is a God. He's our Father. We're His children. In that same chapter, it says we're co-heirs with Him. What a Savior. I'll play softly. If nobody comes, we'll close the service today. But if the Spirit's speaking to you, this is your opportunity to respond. Praise the Lord. Let's give God a hand today. Amen? Good stuff. You may be seated for just a moment. I have a couple things I want to share with you. Great to have you. Brother Artie, we got a great report from you and your granddaughter. She uh, was able to leave the hospital as an intensive care. And so we're praising the Lord for what he's up to as we've been praying for him and his family. God's up to some great stuff in, in their life. Amen? Um, I want to remind you again... Uh, uh, please connect with us through any of the email, social media. Uh, the video that we showed you, it's, it's pretty long. It's in full length on our Facebook page. So if you'll look at that. Um, and then uh, please, uh, if you haven't signed up for our group messaging, please do that. And um, it's just good stuff. We're excited about what God's up to. Once you begin to pray, next Sunday, next Sunday is very important very important Sunday in our in the life of our church. We'll kind of give a state of the uh, ministry. Today we talked about where we were, our vision for our personal life. Next week will be our vision for us as a family, where we're going as a family. Right after church, please make plans to stay. We're going to have a ministry fair. It'll be broken down into three categories, the physical, uh, the children, and then the technological side. And those three areas, uh, we'll be showing the areas that you can plug in and you can, uh, areas that have, it'll have jobs that we need to be filled. And um, as we get ready for the new year, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, we need about 20 to 25 people a week to fill every position. And uh, we're going to share with you next week how that'll all begin to happen and some of the things the Lord has in store for us as a church family here and abroad. God's doing big things here. He's doing big things in Peru. And he's provided supernaturally in Haiti. And so next week we're going to look at all those things. And the vision. We're going to look at where we've been. Where we are. But where we're going. If you've been visiting with us. Uh, please come back. Hear our heart. Hear where we're headed. I, uh, next week hopefully all our family will be back. Call, call, call somebody. Bring them. Get them here. Next week and make plans to stay. Amen? Good stuff. All right, it's been great to be here today. Let's stand to our feet. Um, how about we rock out to that second song you did, and we'll close to that. All right, good deal. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord, our God and King.